0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Good morning, friends, and welcome to today's episode of Everyday Truth. I have a postcard here from our friend and missionary, John McNeish. And it's kind of a a random postcard there of a mountain and a forest. And I can't tell you where it is. And I can't tell you where John is because he's a missionary ministering in a, uh, just a hot spot. And it would not be safe for us to tell you where he is, uh, but know that he's in the will of God serving the Lord and needs our prayers. And so, John, thanks for sending that postcard via somebody else uh, today. We we think we've been thinking about you and praying for you, and it's good to uh, to hear your name and, and be reminded of all the good work you're doing there on the mission field. We are in Mark chapter nine, and we're kind of stuck on this one story. It's a longer story in the Bible, the story about this man that brought the son to the Lord, how that the disciples could not help him. The people had gathered to watch this, this kind of this argument, this questioning debate between the scribes and the disciples. In the meantime, Jesus shows up with the three from the Mount of Transfiguration. He chides all of them for being a faithless generation. He challenges the man uh, to tell Jesus, what, what what do you want? And I want my son to be healed. Can, can you do anything? And Jesus says, "Well, can you believe?" And the man says, "I can, but I'm struggling with unbelief." And yet, just that little investment of faith in a great God—little faith in a great God—and what did Jesus do? He healed him, and did not just healed him of the demon, but 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 gave him strength. And now he's up and on his feet. And what a great miracle that is! But there's more to this miracle than just the miracle. Remember miracles in the ministry of Jesus were never an end to themselves. There was always a deeper teaching. There was always a greater purpose. And we find it right here in Mark chapter number nine. And I want you to see it. Mark nine and verse number 27. We'll just pick it up here. Uh, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he was come into the house. His disciples asked Him privately. So the miracle is over. Uh, the man has been healed. The boy, uh, the scribes have gone their way. The, the crowd has scattered. Now Jesus and the disciples are in a house, and so they have a relative amount of privacy. And the disciples have a pressing question uh, on their heart. And it says here in verse number 28, His disciples asked Him privately, why could not we cast him out? Lord, you, you've rebuked us for a lack of faith. We saw what happened. The man came to us. Why couldn't we do this? We wanted to, but we were ineffective. We, had, we did not have the power. Well, what happened? What a question. And I think it's a question that we ought to ask ourselves at times as well. And that is, Why is it that we sometimes are powerless to help people with real needs? Why sometimes does it seem that even our best intentions and our organized efforts as a local church are but a a drop in the bucket when it comes to really meeting the needs, the spiritual needs, the desperate needs of people? It's a great question. And watch what Jesus says in verse 29. And he said unto them, This kind, so this kind of miracle, what you just saw, the the impressive nature of the expulsion of this demon, this long-standing problem in this young man's life, this kind, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So there's the secret. The secret is the fertilization of faith is something that takes place ahead of a given episode. See, we we all want to have great faith when the situation arises or when we're called upon with a great question or a great need or we face a situation like this where somebody is desperate and we need to help them in some big way. Yeah, we all want to have faith in that moment, but faith is not born in the moment. Faith is not developed in a one-time situation. No, faith comes from our relationship with the Lord, and that's a private relationship. That's a relationship with the Lord that uh, is built and nurtured over time. So uh, Jesus said this kind, this kind of miracle can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Yeah, I want you to think about this. Prayer is probably the greatest activity in the life of the believer to exhibit faith than any other activity. Why do you say that? I say that because prayer is an activity, a discipline in the Christian life that we would only do if we really believe somebody is at the other end of the line. Sometimes I watch my grandkids or uh, my kids back in the day, and they like to mimic mom and dad. So they like to play like they're talking on a telephone. Now, when my kids grew up, we didn't have cell phones. They didn't see dad on a cell phone per se, but they'd like to. I guess, I guess maybe they did a little bit, but they'd like to play with their their play phone, right? And they just jabber, and it's it's funny and it's childish. Why? Because there's nobody at the other end of the line. And the older they get, the more they realize toy phones are not something I'm going to continue to do. Now, I'm afraid sometimes that's the way we look at prayer. We look at it as a novelty. We look at it as a childish thing. But the older we get, I think the more sometimes if we're we're honest with ourselves, I think sometimes we have to admit we really don't believe there's somebody at the other end of the line. Like if I told you today, you could call the most important person in the world and you've got his private cell number. He's the richest person in the the world. He's the most powerful person in the world. You have his private cell number. He'll answer anytime you call, you would use that number. And yet we don't pray. We have not because we ask not. And the reason we don't pray itself is a matter of a lack of faith. Because truly, if we believed somebody was at the other end of that line, we would be talking. We would be praying. And so Jesus said, prayer is both the indication of and the fertilization of faith in our life. Prayer and fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is a temporary departure from what I need to signify that there's something I need more than what I need. Does that make sense? So it's saying, Lord, I want the hunger pangs that are telling me that my body needs this. I want those pangs themselves to remind me that, oh God, I need you. Maybe that's why Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And maybe one of the reasons why we don't see the power of God in our lives, and one of the reasons why we don't see these kinds of enormous blessings in our life where God truly wants to use us is because there's really no legitimate hunger or thirst for the things of God or for God himself or for the work of God in our life. And Jesus said about this episode, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And maybe that's just a rebuke to all of us today. And I think it should be that we ought to have a greater hunger for, a greater desire for, a greater prioritization of our alone time with the Lord, knowing that that alone time really is going to fertilize those big public times. I think about David how he went to Saul and said Saul I can fight that giant. Well, who are you? He's a soldier from the time he's been just a youth and you're just a uh, you're just a youth yourself. H- how are you going to Well, I-, I fought a lion and I I was able to kill that lion to save the sheep and I fought a bear and I was able to kill that bear to save the sheep. What was David saying? David was saying, I have confidence in the public arena Because I've seen God work in my private arena. Uh, God has worked privately. I've trusted him privately. I've won the private victory. And therefore, I have great public confidence. Let that be a lesson to each one of us. How important that alone time, that prayer time, that fasting time, uh, that, that, that secret time with God. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. We saw an open miracle here in front of all these people, but it was all predicated upon a private, authentic relationship with God. So what a teaching for all of us. Now let's move on real quickly. Verse number 30, where the Bible says, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. So remember, Jesus has lately been up in Caesarea Philippi. He's been outside of the normal environs of his ministry. He's coming back through the ground that's most familiar to him, Galilee. When you think about Galilee in the Bible, think about a lower Galilee and an upper Galilee. Now, I used to think, and this was wrong, that lower Galilee referred to What was south, like down by the Sea of Galilee and even out a little bit to the west of the Sea of Galilee, what we call the Jezreel Valley or the Valley of Armageddon, uh, Nazareth, Cana, Zipporah, that area, Megiddo, Carmel. But uh, that's not why that's called the Lower Galilee. It's not called the Lower Galilee because it's south. It's called the Lower Galilee because it's lower in elevation. And the Upper Galilee, even though it is north, north of the Sea of Galilee, is called the Upper Galilee because you're going uphill and you're going along the higher mountains, like the the range that we call the the, uh, Golan Heights, all the way up to where Jesus was on Mount Hermon. Uh, the the Mount of Transfiguration, so the Bible teaches that as Jesus is coming down through Galilee, he's coming down through the most familiar ground to him humanly, because he's he spent most of his life walking these fields and these paths and, and this area, and watch what he says, because this is really an an odd request that he makes. Verse thirty, they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. So guys, we're going to go back through this familiar country. Uh, Galilee was where they had preached in all the synagogues, all the villages. Jesus had made his way, crisscrossed that entire region. Not only that, he had sent the disciples out two by two already to preach in all those synagogues and those villages. And now Jesus is coming back and saying, "Don't, don't tell people that we're here. It's a, it's a totally different way to go about ministry. It's not a demonstrative way. It's not a, a vocal way. It's a, hey guys, let's just get through uh, unknown to people. Now, why? Why would Jesus say that? Well, look at verse number 31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. So Jesus now, remember, has been declared by Peter and the others, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. They get it. They know it. But remember, as soon as they knew it, Jesus said, but let me clarify what it is, because you're thinking about Messiah in a political way. You're thinking about Messiah in an economic way. And I want to show you that Messiah is primarily the one that will first die for sin. The first that will be killed. He will rise again. This is the gospel. We, we, we began our whole study of the book of Mark talking about how Jesus preached this message of repentance and believing the gospel. This is the gospel. But people are not going to understand this. It's going to cause confusion. The disciples themselves don't fully understand it. That's what the Bible just said. So instead of declaring a message that they did not entirely understand, instead of causing more confusion because they weren't even able to explain it yet, Jesus said, just keep it on the down low for now. You'll understand it better by and by. And that's the point here in verse number 32 when it says, but they understood not that saying and they were afraid to ask him, have you ever been in a class or in a church service or maybe back in school back in the day and somebody, the teacher taught something and you, you knew that the teacher thought, well, everyone should understand this. He, he explained it carefully and simply. The words weren't hard to understand, but there was something in the back of your head just scratching saying, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And that's what's happening here. This message of death and burial, of rejection, and then of rising again, is so foreign to their thoughts that they just can't get it. And nobody wants to ask a clarifying word. So we're going to stop right there. Verse number 32. And we'll jump back into verse number 33 next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.